You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the Welcome phone. It is Thursday, September 9th. 2021 people hope everybody is having a great week and i got good news for you party people if you like Aaron torres today is a great day for you this week we officially go back to three episodes per week so you'll get an additional episode on friday normally we'll drop them monday wednesday friday because of the holiday this week we're do we did tuesday thursday friday so monday wednesday friday starting next week this is the second of three episodes and i should mention by the way friday's show is going to be incredible Jay Wright head coach Villanova how about that for a guest he goes into the basketball hall of fame this weekend and I talked to him late last week about the weekend itself about Nova a lot of fun stuff Jay Wright joining the Aaron Torres podcast tomorrow we'll also preview all of week two in college football but this is what we're going to get to today on Thursday opening day of the NFL we're going to start with what I think is kind of an interesting college football topic one of the marquee games from the weekend this coming weekend Michigan Washington I actually think this is one of the signature more important games of Jim Harbaugh's time at Michigan I'll tell you why we'll talk a little bit about Nick Saban going on an incredible post-game rant on Wednesday Uh, and I'll give you my Super Bowl picks by the way Then we will do some quick college basketball. Shaden Sharp, the number one high school player in America, has committed to Kentucky. I'm telling you, this is much, much, much bigger than just a single commitment. It signifies, hopefully, uh, the ship turning in the night for John Calipari after a disappointing year. And then after that, we will give you a good NFL guest. And so... As you know, I've started Aaron Torres online where all of my writing is going forward. Hope to get back to a little bit more writing, but getting everything set up uh, has been fun but hectic. And so what I want to do today is bring on one of my NFL writers, John Frisella, to preview the NFL season. I don't do a ton of NFL on this show, but when I can get one of my writers who I believe is is one of the sharpest NFL minds I know, we talk all sorts of things NFL. He is a fantasy expert, so we talk a lot about the fantasy perspective, the five quarterbacks. We talk about just some season stuff, Joe Burrow coming off that knee injury. So really fun interview with John Frisella coming up at the end of the show. 
All right, so let's get to the topic of the day. And it's interesting because in college football, I don't know that there is that one major marquee topic since the the week one of the college football season ended. And we covered a lot of, uh, there were a lot of great storylines coming out of week one, make no mistake, Georgia Clemson, Alabama, Miami, LSU falling apart against LSU. We covered all of those marquee topics coming out of week one. But over the last couple days, I don't know that since the Ole Miss Louisville game on Monday went final, that there was that major marquee topic that we have to lead the show with. And so instead, what I want to do is this. I want to start talking about week two. As I said, Friday's show, we will have the full week two breakdown. But there was one game that kind of stood out to me going into week two that holds greater significance than the others. There's a couple good games, Oregon at Ohio State, Iowa, Iowa State, Texas at Arkansas. But there is one game to me that I believe is more important than all the others. It is Washington at Michigan. Two teams that are unranked, that it doesn't look like a huge game on paper, but it's clearly pretty big because it is the ABC game of the week. It is in that 7.30 Eastern time window. So ABC is going to shove it down your throat as an important game. And in my mind, I actually believe it is a more important game than maybe you would think looking at the schedule. Two unranked teams, Washington coming off an embarrassing loss. How big of a game could it be? Well, I'll tell you this. I actually think it is one of the bigger games of the Jim Harbaugh era outside of the Ohio State games. I think this may be the single biggest game of the Jim Harbaugh era at Michigan outside of Ohio State. And I know that sounds crazy, and I know it sounds stupid. Washington coming off of a loss to an FCS team, uh, Montana. But I'm telling you, I think this is a mega game for Michigan, and let me explain why. And again, we will do the entire Week 2 preview on Friday's episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. But when I look at why this game is so important, I think you have to look at the totality of the Jim Harbaugh era at Michigan. We are now in Year 7, and I think two things are true with the Jim Harbaugh era at Michigan. The first one is the narrative that you hear all the time. Jim Harbaugh has not delivered on what he promised when he came to Michigan. If you remember, it's listen, it's easy to forget now. It's easy to tear the guy down now, the khakis, the glasses, the weird, you know, just who he is. But when he came to Michigan, we all agreed this was the guy. This was a guy that had been to three NFC championships in four games with the San Francisco 49ers. A Super Bowl was a player two away from winning the Super Bowl, one at Stanford. And we all kind of agreed Jim Harbaugh is going to be the guy that brings back Michigan to the elite of college football. It has not happened, but this was what was promised when he arrived, and it wasn't just by us, right? He said it in his own press conference. The goals weren't to be good. The goals were to beat Ohio State. The goals were to win the Big Ten. The goals were to make college football playoff appearances. And so I think by by any tangible measurement, you can argue that the Jim Harbaugh era has not been a success because he has not lived up to the standard that he set for himself. It wasn't just us that assumed that he what he and Michigan could catch Ohio State and eventually surpass him. It wasn't just us who thought that they would win Big Tens and make college football playoff appearances, compete for national championships. Jim Harbaugh said all of that in his opening press conference, and he has not delivered on that. That is true, that is indisputable, and that is the narrative that you always hear on Jim Harbaugh. But what I also think is true about Jim Harbaugh is that up until last year with the COVID year where everything was weird, and we're going to get into that in a minute, I don't think there's any doubt that Michigan football is in a better place today than it was before Jim Harbaugh arrived in the fall of 2015. It's easy to forget now, 
but they were a disaster. They went 5-7 and seven the year before he got there, and in the entire decade before Jim Harbaugh got to Michigan, they had just two 10-win seasons. Since Jim Harbaugh has got there, they've had three 11-win seasons in his six seasons as the head coach, and really only five because you can't really take too much out of last year with COVID. So essentially in his first five seasons, Michigan won at least eight games in all five seasons. They won nine games four times, and they won ten games three times. Two times in the previous decade before he got there, they won ten games. They've won three cents, and here were his records in the lead-up to last season. Ten and three in his first year, ten and three in his second year, eight and five in his third year, 10 and three in his fourth year, nine and four in his fifth year. And so while it's easy to argue Jim Harbaugh has not done what he said he was going to do, what is also true is that there is no doubt that the program is in a better place today than it was when he got there, certainly a better place in the five years leading up to last year. But that's also why Saturday's game is so important, because we can't dismiss last year either, okay? And for those of you who don't remember, uh, it was a complete disaster for Michigan. But in defense of Michigan, it was a complete disaster for everybody in college football. Don't let Alabama fool you, because they creamed everybody that they played. College football was kind of an S-show last year. From coast to coast, north to south, east to west. I mean, Ohio State even only got in five games because of COVID. Clemson had Trevor Lawrence out because of COVID. So you go on and on down the list. A lot of places had a lot of problems with COVID. But oh, by the way, Michigan was maybe worse than all of them. For those who've forgotten, they went 2-4 and four last year. They beat Minnesota on opening night. And the only win they had the rest of the year was against Rutgers in overtime. That's it. That was Michigan's winning resume last year. Two and four, beat Minnesota on opening night, beat Rutgers in double overtime. On top of that, you, you get destroyed by Michigan State. You get destroyed by Indiana. Uh, you don't even play Ohio State. And so last year was a disaster. Now, in defense of Jim Harbaugh, after last year, he kind of did all of the right PR stuff. I know, again, it's easy to tear down Harbaugh. But he did everything that you would want him to do as a head coach. He took that massive pay cut. He was one of the three, four, five highest paid coaches in college football. And he basically said, like, look, I'm not performing like it. Uh, I will take less money. And frankly, now he has one of probably the best contracts in college football for his school. If he stinks this year, uh, his school can pretty much fire him without having to pay him very much. Um, and they can get out of that contract very easily. He is no longer anywhere close to one of the highest paid coaches in college football. He took a massive pay cut. He reshook up his staff, brought in a lot of younger guys, kind of re-energized the staff as a whole. I saw this stat where he only has one assistant coach over the age of 40 right now. Everybody else is in their 30s, which kind of shows you how kind of young and dynamic and exciting this coaching staff is. Brought in a lot of Michigan alums as part of his staff. Mike Hart, the former running back. Ron Bellamy, the former wide receiver. So Jim Harbaugh has done everything right off of a disastrous year. But here's the thing, and this is why Saturday is so important. None of it matters if you don't beat Washington and you don't beat them convincingly. And I'm not Mr. like, you got to win by four. Like, no. But here's the bottom line is Jim Harbaugh has sold, last year was the outlier, I will get this right, I will make this right. Well, I'm telling you right now, if you want to make this right, Saturday against Washington is a game that you absolutely have to have. There are zero excuses. I know Washington came into the year in the top 25, but this is a team, while they are a big brand, they are coming off an embarrassing loss 
to to Montana, an FCS team where they had under 300 yards of total offense. They are a team that has a second-year head coach, which is essentially a first-year head coach in Jimmy Lake. Not saying Jimmy Lake isn't good or can't be good, but if you remember, he took over in the 2019-2020 offseason when Chris Peterson retired, and he only got to coach four games. So this is only his sixth game total, four games last year, a loss to Montana, and he is bringing his boys from Washington to the big house on Saturday. And so if you're Michigan, again, I know it's about at Michigan winning Big Ten championships, beating Ohio State. But Jim Harbaugh, for most of his career, has established that at worst, they are the second to third best team in the Big Ten in any given year. They're not Ohio State. In any given year, they might not be Wisconsin or they might not be Penn State, but they're not terrible. They're better than when Harbaugh showed up. They're an 8-9-10 win team, and last year was the outlier. But I'll also tell you this. If he loses on Saturday to Washington at home, there's no excuses. There's no excuses. I don't believe there's any turning it around, and we just kind of have to accept that this Jim Harbaugh era is going to end badly, and this is not going to be what we thought it was. It already isn't because you haven't caught Ohio State, but can you stay relevant at the 9-10 to 10 win mark, or are you just a team and a program that is going completely in the wrong direction? I'll break down the game further. I'll do my betting pick, but I'll tell you this. Saturday is about as much of a big game of the Jim Harbaugh era outside of Ohio State as we have had because it's going to tell us one of two things. Was last year the aberration? Was last year 2-4 and four all about COVID, no spring practice? Or is Jim Harbaugh just not the coach that we thought he was? Is he not the guy to not only catch Ohio State, but now he can't even keep Michigan relevant on the national scene somewhere as one of the 10 to 15 top programs in the country? I do find it really interesting that Michigan is kind of coming into this game a little bit under the radar. I actually thought they looked pretty good in their opener against Western Michigan. I understand it was only Western Michigan, but ask Washington about playing a team that you're supposed to beat convincingly. Ask Oregon a team that about, about beating a team that you're supposed to beat convincingly when Oregon only won by six. Not everybody that played bad teams looked good last week. Michigan was one that did. But you talk about a mega game. Michigan has to win this game and win it convincingly. Really quick, I want to get to a couple other topics from across college football and, and football in general, really. And then we'll get to Shaden Sharp and my buddy John Frisella. The first one, did you see Nick Saban? Nick Saban, he's back, baby. Absolutely losing his mind. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this topic. But look, we all saw what happened Saturday with Alabama. They play Miami. It's a big game. I told you on this podcast, Miami stinks. Alabama's going to destroy them. And so what happens? Alabama goes and destroys them. Final score, 41-13. to Unfortunately for Nick Saban, 41-13 to is not good enough because after practice on Wednesday... Uh, Nick Saban just lost his mind. And Nick Saban sometimes loses his mind, but it's usually after week five, week six, week seven, when his team is starting to pull away from the pack in the SEC. And that's when he does his patented yell and scream, my team stinks, they don't understand what it takes to win speech. This year, he decided to save it for week two, though, uh, heading into a game against Mercer. He had a epic rant on Wednesday after practice. The full video, by the way, is at AaronTorresOnline.com. Under the headline, Nick Saban went on another epic rant, furious about Alabama's ho-hum 31-point win over Miami. If you have not seen the video, it is available at AaronTorresOnline.com. But let me read you a few excerpts. He says, several years ago, it was our sixth or seventh game of the year. We just beat 
Texas A&M, and people started talking about our team, and I had to bring everyone's attention to what I refer to as rat poison, Saban said. This was, again, after Wednesday's practice, after destroying Miami. So now we've basically played one half of a game. He's talking about Miami now. I, we went up 27-0 in the game, and then it was basically 17-16 to after that with two stops inside the five-yard line. So we didn't maintain our intensity in the game, so we were affected by the scoreboard, so we haven't proven that we can play for 60 minutes. Then he goes on to blame the media, to blame social media. He goes, or maybe it's what they read on social media or in the media or whatever after one half of a game this season as if his players could get on social media at halftime. And then it was hot yesterday, so we have ex- every external factor in the world that's affecting our ability to maintain intensity and play the way we need to play and practice the way we need to practice to improve. Shout out Nick Saban. I mean, you know, first of all, the rest of us just saw a 31-point obliteration of Miami when all the backups were in by the beginning of the fourth quarter, a game that was basically over after two possessions. Not Nick Saban. He sees a team that went up 27 nothing and then quit. They only won 17-16 to from there and needed two goal line stops. Otherwise, they would have lost to Miami, except not really. But at the same time, like, let me just say, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, I, res- I actually, this, this stuff makes me respect Nick Saban so much more because when you look at Alabama, what I can tell you is this. I said it to lead the show. This is a once-in-a-century dynasty, okay? There is no reason that Alabama in this modern day and age should be doing what they are doing year after year after year, season after season under Nick Saban. This is a program at Alabama that is definitively great. It's definitively one of the top five, six, seven jobs in the country, but they have, there's nothing that makes them, that, that, that they should be this good, right? First of all, yeah, they have all the facilities and resources and, and uh, you know, a waterfall in their locker room. Guess what? Everybody has access to the same thing. LSU has enough money. There is no expense spared for LSU football. I promise you that. The same with Georgia. The same with Ohio State. The same with Michigan. The same with USC. The same with Oregon. The same with Texas. The same with Oklahoma. The one difference between all of those programs and Alabama, Alabama's been doing it for 15 years On top of it, Nick Saban loses great players to the draft every year. Alabama, six first-round picks last year, still happened to destroy Miami. And here's the part that I don't think Nick Saban gets enough credit for. The way that he continues to lose good assistant coaches and doesn't miss a beat. It's one thing to lose good players. But this guy basically has to revamp his staff every year and never misses a beat. Lane Kiffin is the offensive coordinator. He leaves, Brian Dable comes in, Brian Dable leaves for the NFL, he's now with the Buffalo Bills, Steve Sarkeesian comes in, Steve Sarkeesian takes the Texas job, now Bill O'Brien is in as the head coach, and he has not missed a beat. Defensively, it's the same. Kirby Smart's there forever, he leaves, Jeremy Pruitt takes the job, a year later, Jeremy Pruitt gets the head coaching job at Tennessee, in comes Pete Golding, and again, they don't miss a beat. And so, when I look at Nick Saban... One, what he's doing is incredible, and I hope you guys all appreciate it because there's so much Alabama fatigue. I'm just telling you, we're never going to see anything like this again in college football. We are never going to see a team this dominant, especially in the SEC, the way that Alabama has been over the last 15 years. And it's really because of one man, and that's Nick Saban. And the rant to me, I thought really just signified who he is and why Alabama has so much success. The rest of us see a 44-13 to win over Miami, a top 15 team coming into the season. Nick Saban sees a team that went up 27-0 and then basically just stopped trying. And so I love Nick Saban. I respect him. Go find the video. It's incredible. You can see him getting worked up. You can see him getting fired up. All that good stuff. Really quickly, this is what I want to do. 
It is day one of the NFL season. That's right. We got Bucks versus Cowboys Thursday night football. Let's go, baby. Um, what I want to do really quickly, just rip through some NFL predictions. Then we will get to Shaden Sharp. And then from there, we will get to my buddy John Frisella, NFL writer for Aaron Torres Online.com. And what I would say is in terms of, in terms of the NFL – I, you know I don't do a lot of NFL, but i got to give some preseason predictions. So I am going to give you, here is Aaron Torres's preseason Super Bowl pick, MVP pick, uh, all that stuff. First of all, I'm going to give you the most boring Super Bowl ever. I think we get a Kansas City-Tampa Bay rematch in the Super Bowl. I think Kansas City wins. I find it fascinating, right? Like, like Kansas City, people forget, last year, Kansas City was one of the single most dominating teams that we have ever seen in the regular season. They finished 14 and two. Um, and what was incredible about it, by the way, 14 and two, but the, one of the losses came on the last day of the season when they were resting all their starters and had already clinched home field advantage throughout the playoffs. But what was incredible was they play all these close one score games, but you never feel like felt like they were going to lose any of them. You go back to last year. I mean, they played like their last seven games of last season were essentially all decided by by one touchdown or less. And they won every single one. And as I said, uh, it wasn't as though any of them you felt like they were going to lose. And by the way, they played good teams. They won at Tampa Bay in the regular season. Don't forget that. They won at New Orleans in the regular season. Don't forget that. They beat Miami, which was a fringe playoff team. They beat a lot of good teams. And so when I look at Kansas City, I find it interesting that nobody seems to be talking about them this offseason. Feels like it's a lot of Tampa Bay. It's a lot of Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. It's a lot of different, uh, you know, variables. Matthew Stafford with the Rams. The, the Chargers are getting some buzz. And it just feels like nobody is talking about the Chiefs. I think that's exactly where they want to be. I like the fact, by the way, that Patrick Mahomes played in the preseason. I think that will help them not miss a beat as they head into week one this weekend against Cleveland. And so I would just say they are my Super Bowl champs because it feels like everybody's just crowning the Bucks again, the Packers, their last run with Aaron Rodgers. I think we get a little bit of a revenge tour from the Kansas City Chiefs because this past Super Bowl when they lost to the Bucks, that was the first time, forget them losing, that was the first time that they had been embarrassed in a really long time. I think it gives them a chip on their shoulder. I thought they were kind of getting that um, you know, that, that, that vibe that they thought they were unbeatable again. Six, seven wins by one possession to close the regular season where they aren't really tested. Uh, they get to the playoffs. They destroy Buffalo in the AFC Championship game. And so because of it, I like KC to win. And I like Tampa Bay to get back. I mean, it's not often that you get a Super Bowl champion essentially returning intact, but that is exactly what is happening in Tampa. My MVP is Patrick Mahomes. I think it's going to be a revenge tour factor for him and for the Kansas City Chiefs. Speaking of revenge tours, we'll talk about Kentucky basketball in a minute. Um, but I think it's going to be a revenge tour for him and the Kansas City Chiefs. And MVP is Patrick Mahomes. I will say the team that I kind of think is going to be the most disappointing is the Los Angeles Rams. I'm just telling you, I live in L.A. People think Matthew Stafford is the missing piece. Uh, my buddy Bernie Fratto likes to drop this stat. Bernie Fratto hosts on Fox Sports Radio. Great host on Fox Sports Radio. Um, and he did a bunch of pre- and post-game for the Detroit Lions for years. He worked for the team. And this is the stat that he always drops on Matt Stafford. Uh, Matt Stafford was 10-65 and 65 against winning teams with the Detroit Lions. It's easy to say, well, you know, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's the Lions. They stink. And I'm sure that's part of it. But when you're 10-65, some of that falls on you as well. 
All right, this is what I want to do. I do want to take a quick break. I do want to come back. And what I don't want to do then is talk a little Shaden Sharp. And for people who are not familiar, Shaden Sharp is the number one high school basketball player in America. On Tuesday, he committed to the University of Kentucky. And I'm just telling you, this is really big for Kentucky in more ways than you think. Yes, they've signed elite high school players before, but they, coming off of a losing season, had to completely reshuffle and reshape everything that they did. John Calipari has done that. And again, I think there's a little bit of a, re a revenge tour factor with Kentucky coming into the season as well. We'll talk to Shaden Sharp, take a quick break, come back, and talk to my buddy, John Frisella. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Thank you for, of course, always listening, subscribing, downloading the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. But what I do want to do now is, is talk a little college hoops because over the last couple weeks, I told you, look, you guys know I love college hoops, and this year we were very fortunate. I was really able to talk good, fun college hoops stuff late into the summer with the transfer portal, with Kofi Coburn, with Marcus Carr, on and on and on and on and on. But what I told you was, as we got closer to college football season, this show was going to become heavy college football, which is exactly what it has been. I also did tell you, though, if we got important college basketball news, I would be back and we would be talking college basketball on this show. And that is exactly what happened this week. We did, in fact, get major college hoops news. And so I want to break it down. That news is that the number one high school player in the class of 2022. Remember, the previous top two players Amani Bates and Jalen Duran, they both reclassified. They moved up to the high school class of 2021. They will play college basketball at Memphis this year. But the new player that has replaced them as the top high school player in the class of 2022, he made his college announcement on Tuesday night. And drum roll, please. Shaden Sharp, 6'4 guard from Canada, commits to the University of Kentucky. Shaden Sharp chooses Kentucky over Kansas. He chooses them over Arizona chooses them over Oklahoma State, and chooses them over the G League Ignite program. And I know for some of you, many of you who are not Kentucky basketball fans, you're probably sitting there saying, ah, who cares? Kentucky gets big-time recruits all the time. But let me just tell you this. This is a very important recruit for the University of Kentucky, not only because he's a really good player, but because of what he means to the program overall after last year's disastrous 9-15 season. Now, in terms of the player himself, as I just said, pretty good. That tends to happen when you're the number one high school basketball player in America. You tend to be pretty good, and that is exactly what Shaden Sharp is. 6'4 guard, super athletic, really talented. I mean, I talked to a couple high, uh, uh, high major college basketball assistants that kind of saw him over the summer. They just said the kid's a stud. I mean, he's got that NBA size. He's got that NBA athleticism. Obviously, we'll need to get stronger in the weight room at Kentucky, but he has all the tools that you want in kind of a modern college basketball and NBA combo guard. About 6'4", he's big, he's athletic, he can jump out of the gym, he can play on the ball and create for others. He can also play off the ball, and if you have a true point guard, he can kind of become that hybrid combo scoring guard that can also take over handling the ball if you need him to. But again, it goes without saying he's really talented. And what I think is really cool about this commitment for Kentucky is this. In the past, when Kentucky has gotten these elite, elite high school players, 
a lot of times they come to Kentucky and everything gets thrown on their shoulders. Now, that's not always the case. Remember, Carl Anthony Towns, number one overall pick at Kentucky. He, of course, had some veterans uh, to help him out. Willie Cauley-Stein, the Harrison Twins, etc. Anthony Davis had Darius Miller, had Deron Lamb, had Terrence Jones. Even John Wall had a couple holdovers from the Billy Gillespie era, most notably Patrick Patterson. But what is cool about this situation with Shaden Sharp is this. I think he has a chance to come to Kentucky, be really good next year, be one of the best players in the SEC, and really have an all-SEC, maybe an all-American type season at Kentucky. But what is really cool is that in the transfer portal era, he will not have to do it alone. It's something that we've seen Kentucky struggle with last season. It's something that we saw Duke struggle with last season. And it's something that we've seen at various points with those kinds of programs struggle with over the last four, five, six years. You bring in a bunch of really talented freshmen and they don't have the support system from the veterans to always help them. That will not be an issue at Kentucky next year because, one, when Shaden Sharp gets there, there's a chance that a few players that are on this current 2021-2022 team will still be there. And then the other great thing is you can go out and get veterans in the transfer portal to help support him and the other freshmen when they get to campus next summer. So this is no longer number one player in America comes in, has the whole program on his back, and has to do everything himself. Think of it instead like probably essentially what, what Jalen Suggs did at Gonzaga where he was clearly the best guy, but he didn't have to do it every single night and was really allowed to blossom. I could see Shaden Sharp having very much a similar type role and impact at Kentucky next year, again, without really knowing who exactly his teammates are going to be. And then by the end of the season, he is by far the best player. And you're like, oh, my God, that kid is going to be a dynamite pro. Beyond just what he can do on the court, beyond just what he brings to Kentucky from a basketball perspective, I do think there's one really important addendum to add to this conversation, and that is what he means for Kentucky basketball as a whole going forward. Because like I said, I do think there's a lot of you, if you're not a Kentucky fan, if you don't follow it day to day, minute to minute, month to month, you kind of just sit there and think, eh, another really good recruit from, uh, th th that's going to Kentucky. What's the big deal? Well, first of all, Jeff Goodman pointed this out. First number one overall recruit to commit to Kentucky since 2012, Nerlens Noel. Highest rated recruit to commit to Kentucky since Scal Labissiere uh, in 2015. And Scal obviously did not work out. But why it's so important is this. is First of all, you know, you do the math. They haven't had a, a player ranked this high since 2015, it means that they were not in fact getting those elite high school players. And it really goes back to this entire summer, something I talked about a lot on this podcast. And what I talked about was that last season was an absolute disaster. I mean, it was one of those everything that could go wrong did. It ends up with this 9-16 and 16 season where it is a complete grease fire. The on-the-court product stinks. The players, frankly, whether it was because of COVID, lack of practice, lack of cohesion, lack of an offseason last year, they did not perform when they stepped on the court. Some of it falls on the players. Some of it, of course, falls on the coaches who brought them into the program. It was clear there was dissension in the locker room. It was clear that recruiting had started to slip where you're still getting the good players but maybe not the elite players, and you're asking non-elite freshmen to act like elite freshmen and play like elite freshmen, play like John Wall, Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, even though they are not those guys. And so when we went into the offseason, and again, you had this incredible season where uh, you know certain programs elevate Baylor, Gonzaga, Houston, whoever, and Kentucky gets left behind, and John Calipari basically says this, 
He looks himself in the mirror, and after the season, he actually said this publicly. He said, I hope you get your licks. I hope everybody got their licks in now because we are coming back with a, a vengeance this offseason, and that's exactly what he did. I give him so much credit because this guy at this advanced age of his career looked himself in the mirror and said, what I'm doing isn't good enough. Went out, instead of focusing on freshmen in this past recruiting class, went to the portal, got a bunch of high-character veterans, decides that he is also going to change his style of play. It's kind of a more modern Alabama-type pace and space offense, pace and space personnel, where you're going to see a lot of three-point shooting. You're not going to see a, two guys clog in the middle. And John Calipari basically said, I got to change. But also, on top of that, what he also did was this. He shook up his coaching staff. And part of shaking up his coaching staff was, get, uh, you know, two assistant coaches left. You could say they left for this, that, the other thing. They were basically told, you, you're not really welcome back here. And in their place were two guys came in by the name of Orlando Antigua and Chin Coleman, okay? Orlando Antigua and Chin Coleman, two of the elite recruiters in college basketball, two guys that are well-respected as coaches, as player developers. Orlando Antigua was with John Calipari during the early days, during the glory run of the Kentucky uh, era during the you know 2010 to 2014 type years. And basically what John Calipari said when he brought these guys in, they both came from Illinois. They both played a big role in helping Illinois be a number one seed and national championship contender last year. What he told these guys and what he told Big Blue Nation was this. We, I, we have to get back to recruiting the elite high school players. We cannot finish second, third, fourth for the elite high school players. We have to get in. We have to establish ourselves with name, image, likeness. We can now compete with the professional leagues, and we cannot keep losing these guys to other colleges. Go out on the recruiting trail. We wanted to see, is this going to be what happens? Is Kentucky going to get back to recruiting the elite of the elite, the best of the best? Because, again, I've said it a million times on this podcast. There's a, a difference between the number one high school player in America and the number 11 high school player in America, just like there's a difference between the number one pick in the NBA draft and the number 11 pick in the NBA draft, right? When you have the number one pick in the NBA draft, you're hoping to draft a player that you can build your franchise around. Zion Williamson, Anthony Davis, Kyrie Irving, on and on and on and on and on. When you take the number 11 pick in the draft, you're just hoping that you get a guy that can contribute to a winning team. And it's no different in college basketball, and it's no different when you recruit the elite of the elite high school players. Cade Cunningham put Oklahoma State on his back, and I've said it many times. By the end of last season, he was one of the Oklahoma State was one of the 10 best teams in the country. They beat Baylor late in the year, and while they didn't have success in the NCAA tournament, they were capable of beating anybody in college basketball. I just talked about Jalen Suggs a minute ago. Evan Mobley helps USC to their first Elite Eight in 20 years, and if they don't run into Gonzaga, maybe they get to a Final Four. And so again, I bring it up because there is a difference between the elite of the elite and just really, really, really good high school basketball players. And when John Calipari brought in this new coaching staff, Chin Coleman and Orlando Antigua, he said, we have to get back to recruiting those guys. And that's exactly what he did with Shaden Sharp. And this recruitment specifically delivers the message, hey, we're coming. We're not backing down. We are getting back to recruiting the best of the best high school basketball players in America. And it starts with Shaden Sharp. What I'm really excited to see is where it goes from here. Because one, Kentucky's in with a lot of really big name players. Uh, there is a guard named Kaysen Wallace who seems to be trending more and more towards Kentucky. He's more of a top 12, top 15 type recruit, which again, if he's the best player in your class, I don't know that you're going to win a national championship. But if he's the second or third best player, you just might. 
uh, top five wing named Chris Livingston. I don't know that he's necessarily going to end up in Kentucky, but they're certainly in the conversation. And then maybe most importantly, the guy that I actually think is the actual best high school player in the class of 2022, Derek Lively, big seven foot one center, super athletic. It, you know, it's a little early to determine where he will go to college or if he will pursue a professional option, but I'm just telling you, if he goes to college, Kentucky has as good of a chance as anybody. So yes, Shaden Sharp is good, but what is important about this commitment is that it signifies Kentucky is back to recruiting and getting and enrolling the best of the best high school basketball players in America, and now it'll be fascinating to see what happens from here with Shaden Sharp with Kentucky. One last thought, I would just say this. We won't know until he actually gets to Kentucky, but it appears as though he has chosen Kentucky and college basketball over the G League and over other professional options, and I'll just keep saying it. Every time college basketball wins one of these battles, it is a great sign for college basketball, whether it is Jalen Duran, whether it is Imani Bates, whether it is Chet Holmgren, whether it is Paolo Bancaro, or whether it is now Shaden Sharp. These are important moments for college basketball, and let's be honest, it was certainly probably aided all of it by name, image, likeness. So yeah, Shaden Sharp is now a Kentucky Wildcat. Uh, and with that said, I want to get out of here. This is what I want to do. I want to take a quick break. And when I come back, I want to welcome in my good friend, John Frisella. Okay, John Frisella is one of our NFL writers at Aaron Torres Online. A reminder, Aaron Torres Media, Aaron Torres Online. All of my writing is at Aaron Torres Online right now. And basically, John is a really, really talented NFL writer. He does some fantasy for us. He does some preview stuff for us. And I think he's just one of the sharpest NFL people that I know. And so with it, I'm going to bring on John, and we're going to do a couple different things. We'll talk a little fantasy. We'll talk a little bit about the rookie quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence. He is not as high on Trevor Lawrence, which I thought was really interesting, honestly. Um, you know, he, we talk about Joe Burrow coming off the injury last year, and we talk about some of these teams, the Rams, the, the, the Chiefs, all that stuff. So, so really fun interview. Don't do a ton of NFL, but if I'm going to do NFL, I want to bring on my guys from Aaron Torres Media and Aaron Torres Online because I do think they are really sharp and really smart. And, uh, you know, I want you guys to know a little bit about them. John also hosts the Pickin' Pigskin Winners podcast, part of Aaron Torres Media, which you should check out. If you love the NFL, uh, that is a, a, a podcast that you need to listen to because John and his partner absolutely crush it. All right, before we get out of here, I want to remind everybody, please make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Thank you for your support. iTunes, Spotify, the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the way to go. Google Podcasts, Amazon, you name it, we are on it. So make sure to subscribe. Also make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media. And again, we are back to three episodes. Next episode dropping on Friday, full week two college football preview, plus some guy named Jay Wright. That is right. Jay Wright is in the house on the Aratora Sports Podcast. I will be back on Friday with a third episode. Next week, we go back to Monday, Wednesday, Friday. This week, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. But now, it's time to get to my buddy, John Frisella of Aaron Torres Online. All right, joining me via Zoom, um, you know, NFL kicks off tonight. That, that feels like a pretty big deal. So what I wanted to do, bring in uh, one of my writers, one of my NFL guys from Aaron Torres Online, Aaron Torres Media, 
guy I respect. I actually had him on the podcast last year around this time to talk a little fantasy football. Uh, John Frisella, writer, author. Uh, make sure to follow him on Twitter at LegendSports7. Host of the Pigskin Picking Winner, Picking Pigskin Winners podcast, which is uh, part of what we're doing at Aaron Torres Online. So, John, first of all, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's going on, my friend? Happy to be back on the show. Pumped up, excited for the season. Uh, it's going to be an interesting one right off the bat. I can tell you that uh, right on that Thursday night game. That's going to be something else. So, happy to be back for another year. Things are crazy over here, but hey, man, we're ready for some football. Well, we'll get you on a little bit more this year now that you're officially working with me and, and all that stuff. But but real quick, tell people, I was listening to Pickin' Pigskin Winners. Uh, I was listening to your guys' first real episode. It dropped about a week ago now, previewing uh, the NFC over-under win totals. I know, obviously, those are now basically off the board because of, uh, you know, the season starting. But tell us a little bit about the podcast. I thought it was a great listen. You and your, your, your uh, colleague, my colleague, too, because he works for me, too, Wesley, so you guys have great chemistry. Uh, really enjoyed the show and just curious about the origins and everything that you guys are going to plan on doing there for the show. Yeah, thanks so much, AT, for listening and for the comments as well. Uh, yeah, worked with Wes last season the entire year. Um, what we'll do on a week-to-week -week basis is kind of look at the betting lines, but also look at the trends, right? So we're, we're not just going to do it based on the personnel. Um, we're going to be looking at the line movements to see which way it goes, up or down. Um, we'll be looking at the percentage of bets by the public. Um, for the shows early in the season, as you talked about, we did NFC uh, win totals and we also did AFC win totals was the second show. So we're going to bounce around. We're going to do some of the fantasy stuff in there. We're going to throw it in there. Maybe some DraftKings salaries, DraftKings sportsbook lines. Um, so, yeah, we're definitely going to bring the energy. Wes is a great partner. Uh, he's kind of the, the leader and the host of the show and I'm more of the analyst. So hopefully you guys will be listening. Pick and pigskin winners uh, on Apple and also on Spotify. Yeah, 100%. I, like I said, I listened to a few shows. Wes, uh, your co-worker, your co-worker, your co-host, uh, he's, uh, he's been writing fantasy, doing fantasy stuff for years. So really, really good show. Let me just ask you, you know, we got a game tonight, uh, Bucks cowboys obviously. But before we even get into that, well, like, what has you excited about the NFL? Because, you know, I find myself more and more, uh, as the years go on, I used to be only a college guy. I don't claim to be an expert in the NFL, but between, you know, hosting radio and just, I, I find the young players dynamic, you know, obviously this year we have five new quarterbacks. Uh, all of them are expected to start at some point. Three of them for sure are going to start in week one. But what what has you excited about week one of the NFL season and really just the, the NFL season as a whole? Yeah, I mean, well, for me, it's kind of a, it crosses over itself because I'm a Jets fan, as you know, a long time, and I'm never excited about the Jets. And this year, obviously, with the new coaching staff, with Robert Saleh running the show, uh, Mike LaFleur is here as the offensive coordinator, and Zach Wilson, which ties into kind of the crossover, which is, you know, we're always excited when we get a new crop of quarterbacks in the NFL. So I, I'll be really interested because personally, I'm down on Trevor Lawrence going into the season. Obviously, he's the obvious number one overall selection. He's the guy in front of all the cameras. He's got Urban Meyer with him. So there, there's a lot of attention on Jacksonville, which is a kind of a rare sight in the NFL. So for sure, Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence is a story. Obviously, Cam Newton is out of the way in New England. So we'll see what Mac Jones can do. Um, my guys, my insider guys tell me that Mac Jones is all about the protection with him. Right. So if they can hold up for him on the line, he could pick some defenses apart right out of the gate. Uh, he's going to need to avoid getting pressure on the ends. 
So Mac Jones, and of course Fields, I think probably we'll see him by week three or week four with the Bears. So the rookie quarterbacks, without a doubt, are exciting. And for me on a personal level, I'm finally interested in the Jets and excited about the Jets. So it's kind of a double whammy for me. Well, I do find it interesting, and I've, I, you know, first of all, everybody who listens to me knows I'm a Mac Jones guy. I think it's BS that, oh, well, you know, he had so much talent around him. It's like nobody really said that about Joe Burrow two years ago. Nobody said it about Tua, who had more talent for the record and was coming off a hip injury. But to kind of tie it to what you said about Trevor Lawrence, uh, so I'm a huge Trevor Lawrence guy. I, I don't think there's any debate he should have gone number one overall. But as I watched him in the preseason, that Monday night game against the, the Saints where he really struggled, uh, not just because he wasn't getting good protection, but he was forcing some passes. I was like, I get he's 6'5", 6'6", runs like the wind, huge arm. But, like, he did have more talent than everybody that he played in college football. And, by the way, you know, if we're going to do this thing about Mac Jones being, you know, only having, you know, he has so much more talent around him. Trevor Lawrence had much more talent against much worse competition. I know you're not a huge college football guy, John, but the ACC is terrible right now, uh, where really it's Clemson, Clemson has a cakewalk into the playoff every year. And so I thought it was interesting. Nobody's really making that argument with Trevor Lawrence. And then to go back to the college argument, nobody's really making the, Trevor, the, the argument that Trevor Lawrence could possibly be a bust. But then also beyond that, um, you know, everybody's down on Mac Jones because he played with so many good players. Trevor Lawrence played with all the same good players, except with inferior opponents, as opposed to what Mac Jones dealt with last year. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you, it's a little bit more technical with Lawrence for me. Um, as you said, you know, I'm not going to watch every single game of the college season unless it was our, our UConn days watching the Huskies. But other uh, than that, I, I watch all the big games always, especially with the quarterbacks that are coming up to the next level as I get prepared for them to come into the NFL. So I can pinpoint for you that my issues with Lawrence started in the championship game against Joe Burrow. Because if you watched Lawrence versus Burrow in the way that they released the ball, there's a timing issue there in terms of NFL defenses. Like when I watched Burrow in that game, the ball was coming out so quick. It, was, it seemed like he was already ready. He could have gone into the NFL right after that day, the next day, and just walked into the NFL and be ready to play. Lawrence had a long release against a fast defense, and he had a multiple balls tipped in that game, and he had interceptions in that game. So right from there, I was like, okay, this is a matchup with a guy who's going to the NFL as the first pick at that time, which was Burrow. Right. So and now we have to see how does he match up with a guy at that level? Forget about the college competition because it's not relevant to what I'm going to see when he comes into the NFL. So it started there. And again, it, I saw it in the preseason because I got a chance to see him across the board in the preseason. And it was the same thing. It was sort of a long release from Lawrence. It's like, OK, let me sit back. Let me survey the field and then kind of reach back and slowly release this thing. And I'm just like, you know, it's going to take time. He's not going to be able to release the ball like that in the NFL, whereas Burrow, even though the Bengals struggled last year, he immediately from game one was able to move the, de move the defense down, put them on their heels, and get up and down the field and kind of get the Bengals in a position to win. I don't think Lawrence is ready for that. And, of course, another thing is just Jacksonville in general, right? Jacksonville with that offensive line, they have to get used to Urban Meyer's scheme. They're playing in a division that has a team that's sort of a lock, which is the Titans, they're a lock to go to the playoffs. So the circumstances are not right for me to Jacksonville. One more thing, the betting line on Jacksonville is heavy on the juice for the under. So if the juice is on the under and I'm nervous about Lawrence and Jacksonville's blah in general, uh, you know, it makes me shaky on the whole situation. So you mentioned Joe Burrow. He's coming off that uh, uh, knee injury. There was a lot of reports early in camp that he was having trouble getting into his rhythm. Again, you do a lot of fantasy writing, but you also love the NFL whether it's from a fantasy perspective or otherwise, we've got a ton of Bengals fans that listen to this show. What do you expect to see from Burrow this year? Because I feel like this is kind of like one of those under-discussed conversations that it's like, 
you know, I, I, nobody expects the Bengals to be great. It's a really tough division with the Browns, Ravens, and Steelers. But we, I, I thought he showed real signs early last year before the injury. Um, and, you know, it's been an interesting fall camp, to say the least, for the Bengals. Yeah, I mean, I don't like the nature of the comments that I've been reading and hearing, which is like, I don't feel exactly quite settled or it doesn't feel quite right to me. And, you know, you can mess around like that when you have a team that's got an elite defense. But when you have the Bengals defense, which we're talking about bottom five or bottom three, uh, especially if they lost Carl Lawson to the Jets, who happens to be out for the year now. But when you have that defensive issue and then you bring in all these concerns about Burrow's health and his timing and his rhythm, I don't think you can afford that on a team that doesn't win to begin with. Right. So for Cincinnati, I have them way down in the basement in that division, right? If we're talking about win totals, I think I'd peg them for five wins, which might even be a little bit generous. And for fantasy, I mean, I have Burrow. I was just working on my rankings again uh, last night. I could try to keep him fresh every week. I have him as the quarterback 13 because he still has potential in that team if they're going to fall behind on the score to rack up the fantasy points, especially as he gets more acclimated and he starts to feel better by maybe game five or six, feels like himself. So I have him at 13, but look, if it's as bad as they're saying and he feels as leaky and as shaky as they're saying, I mean, I could see him being like quarterback 22, 23 when it's all said and done. So I got to stay away for the most part. Where I would take him in fantasy is if it's a two-quarterback league. If it's a two-quarterback league and you have a safe guy up top, that's when you take a Joe Burrow because there's a lot less risk. He's kind of your, your backup and your number two guy. So it all depends on the circumstances. Well, good thing for Bengals fans. At least they drafted a uh, offensive tackle in the first round. Oh, wait, no, they didn't. They drafted a wide receiver who can't catch the ball. So uh, uh, Bengals right on brand there. Uh, give us some other guys. I mean, so some other guys that you think are due for breakout years. It could be a quarterback. It could be a skill position guy. Just guys that you think are, are undervalued, whether it's in fantasy, whether it's in real life, and maybe even a guy that's overvalued because we look at the top of the league, and I think we all know who the top guys are, but somebody's going to regress. Somebody's going to take a step back. Some team or player is going to disappoint who we got. Right. Well, we certainly have some guys that have been on Aaron Torres online so far, right? I had a 10-part series that continues to roll out on fantasy football. So, you know, get jump on there and check out those articles. I'll briefly buzz you through those. Um, at the running back position, somebody to look to break out is Mike Davis with the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, last year, he got his opportunity filling in for Christian McCaffrey when he was injured, and he took advantage, and he kind of expanded his game, right? Mike Davis is a guy that prior to that was known as just a goal line back who could jam it in for you in the red zone um, last year, because of the injury to McCaffrey and the way Joe Brady draws things up with the Panthers, Davis was able to get into that dump down game and the dump off game. And he, he kind of opened up his arsenal. So now he goes to Atlanta where Todd Gurley is gone. Uh, and their only other running back who's of note, they just picked up was Wayne Gallman this past week. So Wayne Gallman's going to need to learn the playbook. He's going to be behind Mike Davis. So at running back, I like Davis to break out at wide receiver, uh, Michael Pittman, that article's dropping this week as well. Uh, with the Colts, I like him now because it's kind of been a, a messy offseason for the Colts. And that's always a situation where you're getting guys for lower than you should be getting them for in drafts because there's been issues with Wentz and COVID and the injuries, right? They've had guys that already have gone on the injury list for the year other than Wentz, wrapped it up, they're done. Uh, Frank Reich's been saying things are a little bit messy. We're not exactly, the ground is shaky underneath us right now with the Colts. So when you hear that kind of stuff, the guy starts to drop in the rankings and now you're getting a better price point. So Pittman's coming into year two. I do think Wentz will be out there when it's all said and done. Um, and Rivers was better for the team in terms of wins and losses. But for fantasy, I think Wentz is going to be better, especially if they fall behind. 
a little bit more than they would with Rivers. So Michael Pittman at wide receiver, Mike Davis at running back. I like Anthony Ferkser from the Titans as a tight end. And then as far as disappointments, you know, a couple of guys that I pointed out at running back already, so we won't go crazy with them, is Zeke Elliott. He's on a pitch count for me. Uh, eventually, he's going to be hitting Zeke Elliott because I know you got a lot of brushback. I know you got a lot of brushback for Zeke Elliott, so get into that one. Yeah, so, I mean, with Zeke, my issue is he's on a pitch count at the running back position, right? Multiple times, he's led the league in carries. He's been over 300 carries more than a few times, right? So, eventually, you can only take so many of those hits and be a grinder that Zeke is, right? Because I respect the guy uh, on the football field. He'll take hits for his team, and he'll take as many carries as you want to jam down his throat. So I feel like it's time for him to regress a little bit. And also he goes very high, right? It's, it's all in relativity. This is a guy who will go as the fifth overall pick in your draft. So are you getting the right price point there? I'd be nervous. I also like Tony Pollard as a backup, one of the most electric backups in the league who can also catch the ball. So that's one guy. And of course, Saquon Barkley. I mean, look, we got to see the guy stay healthy. And the Giants, there's so many mouths to feed there. Uh, they added Kenny Gallagher. They added Kadarius Tony in the passing game. They added Kyle Rudolph as another tight end. I'm talking about nine guys that might touch the ball on the Giants. So two guys I'm worried about at running back. That's Zeke Elliott and Saquon Barkley. By the way, for all this uh, fantasy content, make sure you're following John on Twitter at Legend Sports 7 and also the Pick and Pigskin Winners podcast, as well as all the writings on Air Tours Online. I want to talk a couple teams, um, and we'll get into tonight's game in a minute. Um, well, first, I don't really want to talk teams. I want to talk a team. Uh, I live in L.A. here, and I think you and I are on the same boat with the Rams, is one of my really good friends, his name's Bernie Fratto. He works at Fox Sports Radio. He did Lions pre- and post-game for about a decade, and every chance he gets, he crushes Matt Stafford, just destroys him. And, you know, uh, there's some stat, I think it's Matt Stafford is 10-65 and 65 in his career against teams with winning records, and I know a lot of that is on the Giants. But it's not all on the Giants. And so uh, actually on my Saturday night show, we were talking about a, a team that uh, who, what player has the most pressure on them? And I said, I think it's Matthew Stafford, no doubt, because Sean McVay and that whole coaching staff and organization, they're trying to sp sell the spin zone of we're a we were in the Super Bowl. We're not, we need the quarterback to win us a Super Bowl. And so I'm not saying it's Super Bowl or bust, but I feel like they put an awful lot on Matthew Stafford's shoulders I'm just not sure he's that guy. And, you know, we got a 12, 13 year sample size in the NFL that says that, but you know, the Rams are all in on this guy. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you hundred percent on this. I got to tell you, it's strange. It's like Jared Goff brought this team to a Super Bowl. Yes. There are a lot of factors here, right? The coaching staff, Sean McVay, the defense led by Aaron Donald, good wide receiving core with Robert Woods and Cooper cup. So there, there are a lot of reasons why the Rams would do well and have a run like they had, but it's like, they took away any credit that Jared Goff should have gotten for the year that they did that. And now they're giving Matthew Stafford all this credit for things he's never even done. So it's, it's almost like logic went out the window here. And another thing is that now Goff goes to the Lions and everyone says, oh, the Lions are going to be trash because they got Goff. So it's, it, the logic is lacking and they're trying to sell us on Stafford coming in and being the savior for the team and kind of rocketing them up a level. I just don't see that happening. Um, the thing with Stafford is last year is I can tell you without a doubt, and I'm sure your buddy that you were talking about earlier can tell you, he quit last season hands down. Like if you if you watch the game on Thanksgiving, he was in the huddle when they were down. Like, you know, when a team is down and a real quarterback should be like, guys, let's let's get back into this thing. Let's roll a little bit. He was in the huddle, like laughing and smiling and literally patting guys on the back as they were down by like three scores. 
Like that, that's when you know somebody has written it off. And, and that's a guy that I compare Stafford to Sam Darnold. I see a lot of that from Darnold. The Jets would be down four scores. And he'd be like, all right, hey, guys, we're looking good. Don't worry about it. It's all good. We'll get him by the end of the game. Like, so, you know, I'm, I'm not buying it with Stafford. I think he's a nice quarterback, which I'll tell you, there's a lot of guys that are nice quarterbacks. But if you're talking about the Rams who want to be a Super Bowl contender, uh, I don't think that's the level that you want out of your quarterback. So I'm worried about his mental game. Also, you're taking away the fact that golf already has chemistry with Tyler Higby, the tight end, with Woods, with Cooper Cup. With, he started last year with Van Jefferson, who's going to be in his second year as a wide receiver. And now you've got to bring Stafford along with the same group. So I, I'm not buying to have the Rams for nine wins, which is an under. Um, I don't see them as a Super Bowl contender. Last year I did because people were down on them. This year the hype is too high, so I'm not on the Rams train. Two quick questions. Um... You know, so tonight, so first of all, before even tonight, preseason, you know, some teams were all in on starting players. You know, Tom Brady was literally playing like two quarters, some games, Patrick Mahomes, whatever the stat was, 40 something snaps in one game. Some teams didn't play them at all. You know, whether it's from a, a fantasy perspective, a gambling perspective, a team like the Rams, a team like, um, you know, whoever that has not played their guys at all. What do you think that means for week one uh, as guys are going to see live game? And I know they have these pre, you know, these closed door, uh, you know, joint practices and all that stuff. But uh, what do you make of just the teams and the players that, that didn't get any reps at all in the preseason? Do you worry? Yeah, about I, think, I think in sports betting, you have to take any edges you can possibly get, right? So that's a little edge. People are aware of the information. So it's not as strong as one where you're kind of getting something that maybe is off the books a little bit. People are aware of the teams that weren't using their starters, so they might bake that into their bets. But I think you have to take advantage, though. It's like if you have the list in front of you of teams that did not play anybody that was of note in the preseason, and you could leverage that against your bets in week one, I think you got to take it because it'll go out the window by week two and week three. They'll, they'll get their footing under them in week one. They'll figure out their timing. They'll work on some things in between the week. So, I, I mean, I think it's now or never, right? So, like, a team like the Rams, if you want to go against them week one, just based on the fact that you think they're going to be a little bit cold and they're going to have to find their timing and their rhythm, uh, I think it's worth it because you'll never get that opportunity back. So, it's definitely of note to me. Well, yeah, and it's funny from the college football perspective. I saw a stat. It was the across-the-board game-for-game, the lowest scoring um, week one in, like, seven or eight years. Um, and I think that's reflective of – the fact that there's fans in the stands for the first time. And I think it shook a lot of players. And that was why we saw some more low scoring games really quick. It's kind of on the same vein. You know, we didn't see Dak at all this preseason. He's playing tonight against the Bucs. Um, what do you make of it? I mean, I, I just think it's such a fascinating story. The, the Cowboys say he's fine, but there was a second MRI and nobody really knows and nobody's seen him play, but we weren't going to play him anyway, but then they wanted to play him, but then they didn't. Uh, where just where are you at with with Dak coming into tonight's game against maybe one of the best defensive lines he'll see all season long? Yeah, I mean it's one of the most interesting stories in the league, if not the most interesting. I mean, I got to tell you, I watched Hard Knocks in one sitting. Like I kind of fell behind on it. Things have been crazy, whatever. I sat down and watched it. I got to tell you, you, feel for this guy because he loves the game. This is all he wants to do, right? Yeah, he's got a big money deal and whatever. The Cowboys are always under the limelight. Okay, cool. But he doesn't care about that. That that guy was dying last year, not being able to play and having a rehab from this. And I'll tell you, I mean, if you watch the show, he was going way too hard to start off this camp. 
And, and I really think that had something to do with the injury. He was pumping bullets and he was all amped up and running up and down the sidelines and chucking the ball hundred miles an hour. It's like, dude, this is camp. You got to know the coaching staff knows what's best for you. The front office knows you got to get eased back into this thing. So, so I really think that there's an issue here. I, I do think it'll recur. Um, I think you got to be careful in a game one against this defense, right? You t- I had a tweet earlier this week. If you look and list talented players on defenses in the NFL, the Tampa Bay Bucks have the longest list of talented defensive players in the NFL. So you're going to throw Prescott out there in game one, right? If you look at the percentages right now, 58% of the bets are on the Bucks. I think if it was right, it would be more like 75%, right? So I, I would be like 75% confident in Tampa Bay in this game, which means you're getting the right, the right price point to take Tampa. 58% is not a high amount when you consider all the uncertainty with Dallas. So I certainly would be taking Tampa in this game. If you look at the line movement, it opened at six and a half and now it's at seven and a half on most books running across the country. So yeah, Tampa's a play for me. I'm absolutely concerned about Prescott. I'll be rooting for him. And I, I hope that it works out for them, but there are too many concerns right now for me to take Dallas in week one. Do you have a best bet for week one? I mean, I, you know, we're going to run through it on pick and pick skin winners without a doubt. But, I mean, if you look at the percentages, only 29% are on the Jets, right? And I, I'm on the Jets. Like, I'm the type of Jets fan that's always going against them. I'm like Mr. Negativity with the Jets. Every, any ask me about Adam Gaze, ask me about Sam Darnold, ask me about the regime before that, I say terrible. Todd Bowles, terrible. I always pick against them. But now I'm on the Jets. I like the way that things are changing. 29% of the bets are on them so far. 71% of the bets are on Sam Darnold on a new team. He's got to get his feet wet. He's got to figure out what's going on with Carolina. This is a guy that, you know, he's a little shaky when all eyes are on him. And when it's your first game with a new team, he's going to be a little bit shaky for sure. So I like the Jets at 29% of the bets on them. And I also like Arizona because Tennessee is a hot storyline right now. So it's 71% of the bets on Tennessee. They got Julio Jones in a trade. Everybody's talking about them. They are a runaway team in that division. So maybe they get off to a slow start and a sluggish start. Uh, 29% of the bets on Arizona. So I like the Jets and Arizona as my early plays. The lines will change as the week goes on. The percentages will change. But right now, that's where I'm leaning. He is the host of the Pickin' Pigskin Winners podcast. Uh, also writes on AaronTorresOnline.com. And follow him on Twitter, Legend Sports 7. John Frisella, all fall long. Fantasy football, fantasy gambling advice, pick and pigskin winners. I appreciate the time, man. Thank you for joining us. You got it, brother. Always my pleasure. And I'll see you on the site, and I'll see you on the next podcast, my friend. Take care. Yes, sir. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply